Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me, as always, is my faithful co-host, Sean Gray. Hello. How are we doing? Good, thank you. <clears throat> it's nice to be polite and ask. Yes, absolutely. Are you sitting comfortably? I actually am, you know, I'm in the living room, I've got the, uh, I've got the PC on the, on the television, so I'm actually... Uh, Got the the results from the Chinese Grand Prix up here on a fifty inch television in front of me, so I should be able to <laughs> read them loud and clear. Uh, well, yeah, I'm sitting on the sofa to do the show tonight, so I am sitting comfortably. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Well, if you are, then I'll begin. <clears throat> from a race held in Old Shanghai, both McLarens said bye bye. <laughs> At the start, there was rain, causing many a pain, but Max Verstappen went sailing on by. That's 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 good. I'm impressed. That was that's actually, not bad, is it? Given that I, I wrote yeah. it literally 30 seconds before we started, that's, I would go as far to say that's definitely the best one so far. Definitely. <laughs> ah, yeah, two podcasts in, and we've already reached the piddle and zenith of my I, I, uh, poetry I feel like skills. You, you were able to to put together the structure of the um, of the poem well there, and to tell a story of what happened in the race all at once. It was just it was there. Yeah, I'm impressed. Color be impressed on that one. Thank you very much. I'm wasted here, really, aren't I? There's, there should be a, there's an F1 poetry corner spot on Sky Sports, definitely uh, waiting for my talent. <laughs> so uh, hopefully from that little limerick, you've realised that this week we are talking about all the comings and goings and crashes and what have yous from the Chinese Grand Prix um, held last weekend. Uh, sorry, we're running a little bit into the Grand Prix this weekend, but uh, needs must, I'm afraid, when uh, the p- bill-paying work drives. But we'll cover everything that we can uh, in as quick as time possible so that we can all get you back to uh, watching this week's Grand Prix. Um, but second Grand Prix of the season, uh, Melbourne was, uh, I think we, we concluded, was sort of somewhere in between being good and bad for, you know, good for results, but not necessarily great for races. I don't know kind of what you felt about uh, this Grand Prix, it was, I felt it was a bit more of the same, really, although vehemently people have disagreed with me online. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I know I've seen from Twitter that you seem to be taking the contrary sort of opinion this, this week, the school of thought generally across the board from from those paid far more money than us to talk about Formula One, that, that this was a belter. I was kind of leaning leaning more towards your side of the argument uh, i'm going to get splinters because yeah, I'm, i am a bit on the fence <laughs> I, I, I thought it was fine <laughs> i just thought it was fine like it wasn't bad it wasn't great it wasn't a classic people who were saying it was great classic all this kind of things they're they're wrong but it wasn't particularly bad either like it was just fine like there was things right. that inter- there was things that interested me that i was disappointing um that we were denied the sebastian lewis fight now, had Seb not had his bit of mis- misfortune with the safety cars, we might have got a perler between Seb and Lewis up top because I think on raw speed, there wasn't a lot between them. And we were denied that. So 
so there was there was you know that was that was a shame that was that was uh, that would detract from the, the the race itself but on the other hand then we had things like Seb having to come back through the Red Bulls and things like that that that, that kept me entertained and kept me interested throughout the race so I thought it was okay. I, I didn't. I didn't see the need to swing drastically one way or the other. It was. It was fine. Uh, and I thought Melbourne was fine too. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm easily pleased. <laughs> maybe. But yeah, I, I didn't hate it. Didn't love it. It was okay. Yeah, my my point of view wasn't that it's like awful and terrible, but it it was just that there was there seemed to be lots of people going, oh wow, this was an amazing race. Yeah. Look at you know, look at all the overtaking and bits and pieces. And I just felt I felt that over egged what actually you know what action we were actually shown on tv um what, that... sorry carry on no 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 go for it yeah i was gonna say what i did definitely take out of it was we've seen drs not really be so effective with the the wider cars and the, and the more aero down the straight it looked a lot more tricky to just breeze up and go past people with drs and i actually really enjoyed that i think it made me realize that i'm not I'm not the biggest fan of the DRS overtaking, and I would rather have two, you know, th- three or four corner combination overtakes, like what we've seen going down to a couple of times with uh, with Max and, and Seb going into six and then hanging it out the outside and, and, and putting your, you know, the foot to the floor and trying to hang on to it through, through several corner sequence. I'd much rather see one or two of them over 50 laps than 10 to 15 DRS overtakes. And that might be an unpopular way to look at it. I don't know. But that's just what, what floats my particular boat. And that, that's why I think I didn't I didn't hate this at all. And, and that's what we ended up with. We ended up with a couple of good moves that, that, that people had to work for, as opposed to normally what you would get in China would be just, oh, I can just sit tight, get a good exit coming around the, around the bend and, and, and breeze past on the straight. And it became clear very early on that wasn't going to be the way. So, so it forced it forced them into making moves that were that you know weren't normally seen and done the last couple of seasons. So that that yeah, I I, I quite enjoyed that and um, like Vettel's move and uh, down to six on one of the Red Bulls. I think it was Ricardo, wasn't it? That I thought that was awesome, and if I if, if we don't get if we only get a couple of them a race, but uh, I'm I'm okay with that. See, my point of view of it was that um, you know I'm I'm not a DRS fanboy in any way, shape, or form. I see it as an unnecessary evil um, with the way that F1 has gone over the last few years, it is in itself, you know, um, just a product of where F1 allowed itself to kind of get to with the aero situation. But <clears throat> whilst, you know, Vettel's overtakes and to some extent Verstappen's overtakes were great and, and interesting and it was good to see overtakes happening that weren't DRS assisted, I just felt... I can't agree with you that if I saw two non-DRS overtakes a race, I would be satisfied. I'd just go, oh, look, it's, you know, 2001 again, or, you know, it's um, a return to the bad times of Formula One when everybody went, oh, 
processional racing where there's no overtaking except in the pits. We hate that. Uh, and we went to try, you know, went away to try and find ways of stopping that happening. Um, you know, I, I did literally hear David Croft read out somebody's tweet saying, oh, isn't it great that we're back? You know, what's wrong with zero stop races? The racing was great back in the 90s. And I'm like, I don't know what races you were watching when there was zero stops in a race. They weren't. They weren't great races. You know, it worked when um, cars were refueling. Do you know what I mean? The stops were for refueling and not for tyres. That is fine. I can, you know, I can well get behind that because there's strategy involved in there and you get cars with different fuel amounts, which uh, are run, you know, which gives you what you want, which is uh, not all the cars on the same tires and same fuel amount. Uh, and if you've built the best car on the grid, you win all the races. So, you know, but, but, but talking as if the cars never stopping and trundling around the track with the with two or three overtakes a race as being some sort of halcyon day of formula one is just nonsense and i think that that shows that people just go oh i'm dissatisfied with the current current you know uh, state of formula one i'll happily say that anything in the past of formula one was better without really sort of thinking it through and that's not to defend modern f1 as being some amazing uh, spectacle at the moment particularly or, or any of the other bits and pieces it's just to say you can't say that old F1 with less stops was better than it is now because it was awful and people complained about it at that point so so my point is, is that there, if I start seeing more of that kind of overtaking um, regularly throughout a race it doesn't have to be like every lap or anything I'm not being ridiculous here but you need to see those kind of battles happening regularly throughout the length of a race and the only reason i feel we got them here was because the um conditions were changeable and we had two safety cars within a short period of time which put some people out of position and i think if you'd ended up the other way around the only real thing that you'd had from the race would have been max verstappen going going through probably until third we think he's probably not overtaking vettel in second if he's not you know pitted out of sequence so yeah, but then we might have got a Lewis versus Seb fight up the top. Well, I don't, I, <clears throat> I don't really see how that happens because it wasn't, li- you know, it it wasn't like there weren't cars that clearly could have had the pace that were that far beh- behind him. Uh, there was just, it, just look at it. There just wasn't, it wasn't the race where that was going to happen. I, I just don't. don't I think don't... If, if Vettel doesn't have the misfortune with the pit, we don't have Lewis and Seb. Going I think, for for I think what you have is is one pit stop, and you see who comes out first, and I think whoever comes out first wins the wins the race. Since Lewis was first, it's probably going to be him. So that's that's my view in it. That, I th- might, I, that might well have been the case, but do you not think Vettel had the pace to to you know attack Lewis? No, you don't think he did. Fair enough. That uh, if you don't think he did, and you don't think <laughs> he did, that's fair enough. I, th- I think the Mercedes was the better car this weekend and I think it showed by the fact that Hamilton quite easily led every single lap of the race and didn't have to worry about it and I think Bottas would have been much higher up had he not spun the car and I think that's what it comes down to is I think you go Lewis is up front and the one person who might possibly have challenged him you know was unlucky but I still don't think he would have Uh, and the car that would have then had to have fought through and been you know around cars looking to give them some challenge 
um, again, sort of shot himself in the foot. So I, I just, I, I struggle to see where on a normal, especially if that was dry as well, you know, ignore, um, if we ignore the wet and have them go off like that, I, I think you end up saying everybody follows one another for nearly the entire race. And we see, you know, you're, you're waiting for the pit stops to, to say how it's, how that's going to work. I think it'll be different this week, you know, um, it's what we know from free practice and stuff. This track that we're going to, I could always have seen Ferrari having better pace than the Mercedes potentially. I get the impression the Ferrari's quick when the temp the track temperature increases. So Bahrain, I don't know what the track temperature will be like there, but probably quite high, I would think. Being the part of the world it is, I know it's, it's a night race though. Isn't night, it? It's a late race, yeah. This it's, it's sort of like or like dusk race, twilight, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Even then, it's probably it's still desert. It's probably still quite hot, I would think. Uh, just from what they were saying, I think either in Australia or China, the, 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 there was two back-to-back -back sessions where the track temperature greatly increased or greatly decreased one to the other, and Ferrari were clearly more comfortable when it was hotter, basically. So I would look out for that going forward. The, the, the hotter the, the conditions, possibly that would suit the Ferrari more. So that may be a reason this weekend they might they might improve they've always been quite good around Bahrain haven't they really it's always been a track that they've gone all right at I think but yeah no, in the I, last I few seasons I, they've always that's where they've been you know looking I definitely, good I definitely see what you're saying about if it's a completely dry race it might be difficult to see how anything happens I do I do take that on board I'm just not entire, entirely convinced that Vettel wouldn't have had something in the tank to have a pop at Lewis. I think he might have. He might not have. We'll never know. But I don't think it's a slam dunk that that he didn't have an, anything to attack Lewis with. Because I think I see, I've seen enough from him coming through the Red Bulls to say, okay, he's had a bit of misfortune, but I, I think that's a, I think there's a quick car this weekend there and he's just been unlucky. Just That's the way I've seen it anyway. Fair enough. Um, so I guess... Let, let's let's talk about those front two of Lewis and Sebastian. Um, obviously, Lewis didn't have very much to worry about this race. There was a, a small moment when it looked like Max was going to have the pace to to worry him, um, but clearly he'd used up the uh, the best of his tyres by the time he breezed up to the back of him and, and as I kind of say, wasn't able to get close enough anywhere to look like he was going to pass him. The problem, uh, The problem, Max... Ultimately, had I think is as soon as the track started drying, which was more or less immediately, that was just, the Red Bull was just going to get weaker and weaker. You know, they needed the conditions to to worsen for them to have a chance here. I think otherwise they just don't have the pace to compete with the top two teams. And and so well, when Max's moment was literally right at the very start of the race, and and that from then on in it was only going to get more difficult for him. And it, it was unfortunate that it was drying so quickly uh, had it taken maybe an extra 10-15 laps to dry we might then have seen Max be able to have a go but the second you know they were putting slicks on after two or three laps even you know immediately in some cases um, it, yeah it, it went the wrong it swung the wrong way for Red Bull basically and, and I think it's pretty clear that as soon as it, it's dry at any track 
they're pro- they're going to be third, and they're they're, not, they're going to struggle to compete with the top two certainly at this stage in the season. So Sebastian's race, Oop. sorry, uh, Sebastian's race. Yeah, we uh, we're, we're you know heavily compromised by um, a pit stop strategy, but one that I think you know all the pundits and certainly my was that it, it was just literally how the dice rolled. You know, had there not been a second safety car, he'd have you know pitted, that's and then everybody else probably would have had to have pitted. So that's cool. the way it goes sometimes. It's luck. It's, yeah, like you say, it's the, it's the way the dice rolled. It's the luck of the draw. Uh, in the end. Given the circumstances, I think a pretty solid drive to 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 get second. I think having missed out at the start uh, with the safety cars and found himself in the position that he did find himself in, because he was behind Raikkonen as well, wasn't he? It wasn't just the two Red Bulls he was in. I think he was initially behind Kimi as well. Yeah. So, so from there to get back up to second, damage limitation get, gets out of their joint level with Lewis in the championship, probably. All in all, a, a fair, a fair result, a decent result, and you can get out there, you know, head above the water, and as you say, go to Bahrain now with with the potential to to get a get a win back on the board. Uh, I, I think I, I think he was be, I think he was quite pleased, you know. It's, it's some of the some of the after race scenes. I think I think Vettel knew he's pretty he's done all right there to finish second, and he can move on quite happy. I think with his day's work. Yeah, I, I kind of felt that you know, there's there's nothing he's he's going to be unpleased about. I think from his own driving the car, um, I don't know what you felt about when he came up behind Kimmy, and obviously Kimmy didn't immediately sort of pull over and let him through when it seemed he was fairly quick. Um, does that please you? Because it means that they're not willing to immediately. Hall Kimmy off the road, or does it wind you up a little bit because it feels like they maybe missed an opportunity to get him on the back of the Red Bulls quicker? Yeah, I can see both sides of the coin. Seb was definitely quicker uh, at the time, but it is the second race of the season. So, I mean, if that was Schumacher and Rubens in 2001, then yeah, we probably would have seen Rubens. <laughs> Rubens, would, Rubens would have pulled off and gone to the airport, yeah. probably, wouldn't he? He'd been in the pit lane or something. Eh? But no, I mean, I. It, as much as I think Ferrari will be right ultimately throughout the season to to push Seb as the clear defined number one, he's the one that's going to go for the title. It would have been a bit silly to see them ordering Kimi to let let him through three laps into the second race of the season. That'd have been a a bit, you know, what's the word? Um, premature. Yeah, a bit. Oh uh, yeah, premature. Yeah, but more. What I mean is like you know, it'd be like. Even by Ferrari standards, that would be a bit... <laughs> a bit harsh. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. You know, so, yeah, Seb um, was compromised slightly, but at the end of the day, if he, if he is this undeniable number one that, that, that they were suggesting, then he should be able to overtake him and pass him, which he did, so that is what it is. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, so next would be uh, uh, young Maxi young Waxy. Waxy. Looking good in the wet again. Like I said earlier, as soon as the conditions dried, it became more and more difficult for them. They just don't have the pace. But in the wet, Max looked looked hooked up again. He looks like he certainly knows how to drive a car in uh, in changeable conditions. And just of, his whole race was 
interlinked with with his teammate in the fourth. So I'll mention him at the same time in the same breath here. Do we think Daniel Ricciardo will be going away from this race, wondering how on earth he's finished behind his teammate who started what was it seventeenth or something? Seventeenth, yeah, it was ridiculous. How um, he's probably gone away there thinking, how on earth is this young whippersnapper still finished ahead of me? And he started down in seventeenth. You know, uh, what did you make of Max as driving in the wet? Were you, were you impressed as? as oh well, I mean, off the start he was incredible. Um, it almost made it look like everybody else was standing still. He just seemed to be able to um, avoid what everybody else was doing and spinning up the tires. Really, he just got great traction whipped it in and out of the spaces and, you know, made up a, a heck of a lot of places at the start. Um, a bit like Brazil uh, last year, he was just finding grip in places where other people weren't really. He was taking, takes a little bit, not 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 not, not always the conventional line, but seems to make it work for him. And You saw it when, in the closing stages as well, wasn't it, when it, against Daniel, that they were taking very different lines into corners. You know, um, Max would seem to want to go in um from a you know much wider than um no wait, wait which way around am i talking max would go in tighter and daniel would take a wider line um i i think to try and be able to sort of come and have a a straighter attack whereas max would kind of take the speed in and allow himself to drive off of you know take the speed into the corner and daniel wanted to drive off of the corner and it seemed i think in the wet conditions or the the conditions as were it seemed that max's style of driving was was just just suited the conditions and the rebels at that stage you know was able to seem to be able to get the power down more consistently than a lot of the other cars around it um and it just i think it just got him into the point where he was just faster on the track at that point had all the confidence he needed to um make the moves that he did to get him up as far as he as as he did when it you know when it dried out he slipped back a lot more um whether that's tire wear potentially or whether it was just a case that um his line that he was sticking to maybe wasn't the optimum line in the dry you know he he had a good line in the wet but it didn't necessarily translate to the best line in the dry when you're uh, in equal or better machinery. Um, but 17th to third is an incredibly credible finish for anybody, you, you'd have yeah. to say. Yeah, absolutely. So there's no criticism of him for not doing it. I just felt it was a bit of a shame that he got up to that, you know, nearly within a second of Lewis. Um, you know, it was just like, yes, yes, come on, are we going to, you know. Uh, and then he just fell back and fell back and fell back. And I don't know whether that was because Lewis wasn't fussed at him catching up with him. And was just saving it and saving it and saving it until he needed it. Uh, and he could put in the fast laps to keep him two or three seconds ahead, by which time Max is having to, like, well, you know, I, I, I've used the best part of everything I've got on me to get me this far. And now I'm stuck behind the car, the bad arrow overtaking and, and all those bits and pieces just led to a point where, you know, he he hit the wall, this this invisible arrow wall that that seems to be being a thing. But you're right, Daniel Ricciardo is probably wondering how it went away. But I think if you you look at it, um, he wasn't his start wasn't perfect. Um, he had to follow really close in and around the Ferraris uh, and do a lot of defensive driving. I think um, 
and I, I don't think that allowed him to have the best race to to pull out the distance he needed to have really held off Max when it, as he was coming through. I, th- I think he can't. He shouldn't need to look too hard. There shouldn't be, need to be a lot of soul searching going on. Um, sometimes the race comes to comes to one one driver out of two. It's just just the way it happens, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. A driver who it didn't ever seem to come to during the race was Kimi Raikkonen. Um, in fact, his his car definitely seemed to be going away from him in, in several corners as he angrily <laughs> just, shot it um, to 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 his uh, mechanics. Well, uh, just, you mentioned Kimi there and made me think of the the radio messages that, that you mentioned there. But then that made me think of going back to Max. What did you make of Max at, just before we jumped to Kimi? The blue flag thing at the end with. Um, I think he made himself look very silly. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree completely, which is why I was trying to grab your opinion there. Uh, there was yeah. never a point where it looked like he was right behind Grosjean. It was Grosjean. I was trying to remember who it was that he was behind. Yeah, if, <laughs> he was about three seconds behind at least. Uh, and Grosjean was and it, you know, halfway up the track almost at times. Yeah, and he, he was, was like two or three corners in the slope sections and at least half of the the straight at any other time you didn't when you were following them around like Grosjean appeared in shot like maybe twice on the laps yeah. that he was he was around you were thinking but if he's really in your way you'd see him all the time you know he'd be a corner and a bit ahead um, and I think at that point Grosjean probably would have but if he can't see Max consistently in his wing mirrors then I think he's got every right to say well he's not fast enough to pass me do you know what I mean at this point on whatever tires on or whatever stops he did He's entitled to run faster than the Red Bull if you know if his car allows him to. Um, you know, um, Max can probably reasonably complain that two seconds or three seconds behind a car does mean you get some dirty air, but it isn't. You know, as Martin Brundle pointed out, Daniel Ricciardo was running underneath his wheel ring for the last six or seven laps of the race, and it didn't seem to be doing him. It you know, like he was able to do that consistently, wouldn't he? He'd get up close and then drop back, and get up close and drop back. So. I just it felt like uh something difficult's going on and there's this thing up ahead that I'm kind of envisaging might be a problem for me in the future. If I complain about it now, it will get out of my way and maybe I'll be able to get a little breathing space between myself and Daniel if it happens at the right place on the racetrack. It sounds sorry, because it sounds like I'm having a go at him really and saying, Oh, he's clearly not talented enough to hold off his teammate. But He's, you know, it's not a case of talent or anything like that. I just think it, it, that's. I think he panicked. That's what it was, and it was just suddenly mm-hmm. like, well, I, might, I might not, I might not get third, you know. And uh, there's this thing up ahead which might give me an opportunity to put some daylight in between me and my, my comrade. So he tried desperately to make it happen, but as his engineer kept on telling him, he said, "You've got to be within a second. And I, I thought that was the rule, wasn't it? That the you wouldn't get blue flags until you were in one and a half seconds of the car in front? I, I didn't know whether it was an official rule or kind of one of these sort of unwritten yeah. but standard ice practices. I think they've clarified it this weekend going into Bahrain on the back of that, that, yeah, they won't blue flag anybody who isn't within a second. I don't even know if it's a second and a half. I think it might be a second. Right. Um, that makes sense to me. Yeah, but but on the, back of, on the back of the Max incident, they've come out this week and said... Here it is in black and white, you know. So yeah. everybody, everybody knows that. So that's what you need yeah, to do. Yeah, it was a little it, really? bit, of, just a little bit of silliness. I agree with you. A little bit of silliness by Max. A little bit of inexperience. A little bit of 
like you say, panic's probably a good word. He's got a fast Danny Rick chasing him down and he sees Grosjean in, in front of him and just thinks, uh Yeah. Bit silly, but he held on anyway. So no harm, no foul. No. Um so going back to Kimmy, what did you make of his um <laughs> insistence about the tire change come the end of the race? It was because there was the, the bit at the start where he's he was coming off of a corner and saying uh, you know, I lose revs uh, and stuff because that's how he lost the places to the rebels, wasn't it? Really, that he he was coming off corners really slow and then uh, Max popped past him. Um, but think... later on, he was saying, you know, I need to pit. I can't go on these tires. I can't go on these tires. And Ferrari were desperately yeah. saying, no, no, stay out, stay out, stay out. From a point of principle, I, I like. At the end of the day, the drivers driving the car. So I, I I like to see the driver make those type of decisions at times where they, they're the one that's out there feeling it and it's all good and well with the data on the pit wall saying what the best way to run the race is. But, you know, these are the guys that are actually driving the car. So I quite like to see the driver drive the strategy. I think Ferrari in this instance got it wrong by not pitting Kimi sooner. I think if they pitted Kimi sooner, they might have given him a better chance to to make the two-stopper work properly. And then he might have had longer time to come back at the Red Bulls at the end. In the end, they just found themselves in no man's land because they spent so long arguing with Kimi about it. And then when they finally buckled and gave in, it was too late to actually do the strategy properly. And they made just a, they found themselves in, in between the two and didn't have enough time at the end to catch the Red Bulls and put any pressure on them. But, but also... You know, the, if they'd stayed to the end, yeah, they, they would have probably still finished where they finished. Well, Bottas finished with speed as well, so don't know whether he might have been been close to Kimi if Kimi had tried to stay on the end on the tires or not. We'll never know. But, but yeah, they just found themselves in a bit of no man's land in the end because they spent so long bickering on the pit wall. Whereas, I quite like to see the driver say, you know, no, this, he's the one driving the car. This is what I feel I, I want to happen. And, 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 and the, you know, and trust the driver that they know what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. What did you think? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I, you've got to trust the driver to uh, look at the package that they've got and say, you know, I, I need to pit now. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? Because there must be, they must look at it and go, other people are going longer. And if you go longer, then it's going to be better for you. Um, or if you don't stop, it's going to be better for you. Um, because ultimately it pushed him back towards Bottas. It was at that stage quite a long way behind him. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think you have to trust the driver. If the driver is complaining as vehemently as Kimmy was, then you just got to say, all right, that's what you say, and that's what we go with. And if it compromises your race and you don't do well, then it's you that doesn't score the world it's championship your choice, points. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like um, I mean, and especially it's this like, early on in the season, it's not like it was Esteban Ocon or someone driving the car. It's Kimi Raikkonen. He's had two hundred and fifty Grand Prix starts. <laughs> he should probably um, know what he's doing by now, shouldn't he? Like as as much as he hasn't quite been on it the last couple of years of his career in terms of podiums and race wins. When it comes to something like the touch and feel of a car and when he says to you, I'm going to be able to go a lot quicker with fresher boots and make it work, then just, yeah, I, I'd like to, I want to see them trust the driver. 
if that was Seb, do you think they would have battled as long as they did? I don't know. I don't know. It's difficult. Um, I think the thing is there is I don't know at this stage. I think you'd have to wait and see. I still don't know if Ferrari have all the people there running the team in necessarily the right way from the pit, pit wall. Um, so I don't know whether they'd feel more cowed by Seb than Kimmy. Um, but I think you'd have to wait and see. I, I get the. I, th- I think my gut reaction is that they probably would have pulled him in earlier, but we can't really say, can we, one way or other? No, no, it's just uh, fun to speculate, I suppose. <laughs> um, Bottas, six. Oh dear, yes. Bit of a um, bit of a boob, wasn't it? <laughs> it was just not a good race weekend for him, and it's gonna happen, really, with the step up. He's gonna be in positions, I think, where his previously probably fairly fairly well honed defensive abilities um and driving within a williams car probably are going to be more tested by a mercedes with probably more power different kind of handling you know aspects um you know if if the mercedes is that 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 bit closer to the edge of ultimate grip and performance you know because that's what that's what the teams always do isn't it it's, it's that balancing on the knife edge of uh you get the better gains the closer and closer it gets to being too much power or you know not not enough grip or there's too much power for the grip that you've got all those kind of bits and pieces and that that setup balancing act um so so long as he doesn't keep on doing yeah i don't see any problems for him but it was binning the well he didn't bin the car but spinning the car behind the safety it was behind the safety car wasn't it yeah i think so yeah it wasn't it wasn't full race was it it's just so terribly rookie-ish isn't it and he's an experienced multi-season driver now he needs to not be making those kind of mistakes especially when your teammate is lewis hamilton you know yeah and the spotlights on him having gotten the move you know as well like you know everybody's clearly looking to see how he does fill in he's literally filling the shoes of the world champion um so he is obviously under a bit of pressure to to succeed uh, like you say uh, it can happen it can happen to any of them even the best most experienced drivers it does happen so just a bit unfortunate timing you know given that it is his only second race for the world championship winning team you know if he'd done that in the williams we wouldn't probably think much no you just got uh, no. it's just it's just because yeah yeah but because the nature of the incident you know he's he's doing it in a in, in a, a mercedes where, he's... in a time where he really needs to be showing everybody what he can do kind of thing so in a, you know in, in the same machinery that his his teammate is going on and, and running the perfect grand prix you know yep. grand slam of fastest free practices polls and and things it, it just makes it that more glaring, doesn't it? That yeah, you know, Lewis didn't, but Bottas did. Um, skipping past that, then to Carlos signs in the Toro Rosso, you know, very very creditable seventh place. <laughs> very um, bold, ballsy strategy going on the slicks right at the start, wasn't it? And it it looked like for all the world 
Um, he absolutely messed it up, you know, achingly, glacially slow off the start line, um, skidded off in the second or third corner, uh, tried to get back on the track and then bumped into the wall on the other side of the track. And you're just like, well, there you go. He's a young guy. He's going to make mistakes and bits and pieces. But it just proved that, that uh, it makes you wonder what the heck would have happened had he not, you know, binned it. If he'd managed to stay sort of midfield in the pack and kept his tyres warm enough, you know, without losing too many places or anything like that, where he would have ended up, you know. Well, they would have all came in under the safety car and he might he'd have managed been, to find himself right in the mix. Yeah. Some point. So I think he is now going to just, he keeps on doing these sort of things. He's making himself, um, you know, unforgettable in terms of where the seats are all lying. You know, he, he keeps on doing these things that make you just go, Oh, that's really good. That's a really good result for the Toro Rosso. Oh, look, it's Carlos Sainz again. Um, and at some point, you know, Rebel are not going to be able to ignore the fact that he either needs a promotion or he's going to not re-sign for Toro Rosso. Um, and that will ultimately, you know, decide almost certainly Daniel Ricciardo's future, realistically. Oh, um, you know, given... We've, we've touched on it before, but given some of the older guys like uh, uh, Kimi and, and Fernando and things... When they when they move on, you know, Carlos Sainz is going to be a very he's going to be the sort of major player in the in the shakeup of driver lineups for for a good few years to come. You know, whether he goes to Red Bull, whether he goes to Ferrari, whether he goes to Red Bull and then Danny Rick goes to Ferrari, you know, or, or who knows what. But the he, he's 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 quickly becoming the central figure in that shake-up, which will probably happen in anywhere between 6 to 18 months, probably. He's quickly becoming the first piece on the board that could could start the snowball sort of thing. And he's, he's, I, I don't want to compare him too much to Fernando just because they're both Spanish and it's just easy, easy comparison. <laughs> But he is doing the Fernando thing of taking a car and dragging it, you know, a tenth yeah. of a second quicker than it probably justifiably should be going. The you know the skill that Alonso seems to have, as he's he's built his career on being able to push a car that little bit beyond where anybody else could push it. Science is starting to do that in the Toro Rosso a little bit. This is another good uh, good example of it. He's you know he's not going to beat the Mercedes, the Red Bulls, or the Ferraris on pace, but he's beat every single other car, you know. And that's as, as really realistically when the top six finish as best as any of the rest of them can hope for. And he's won that that battle, not for the first time. So yeah, like you say, becoming a little bit you know not you know, he. he He's making sure people are talking about him in the positive way with his drive. He's letting his drive into the talking. It's his old, the old mantra of just just let your drive into the talking on the track, and you'll get the move. You get the moves and that you need that 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 you want. You know, you don't need to be shooting your mouth or anything. Just head down, let the let the drive into the talking. That's what I like that about him. 
Speaking of which, um, eighth place for Kevin Magnussen in the Haas. Um, good result, eh? Yeah, easily really good result. result for a while. Um, like. Watched some of his, you know, watched him on the so replays of him on the the, uh, the start lap. Just some incredible hanging the car out around the outside of turns um, and holding on to places and, and and fighting for it. Um, and he did some, uh, you know, some some good solid overtakes in the race as well. I think this is the this is the race he needed after, you know, the the Renault debacle. Um, he needed to come in and do better than Roman fairly early on, I think, in some races to show, look, last season went pear-shaped because I was in a team that really, you know, were tapping up Nico Hulkenberg and um, not, you know giving me any real support and so I'd started to look around and so that was you know that's where that season went and then you know obviously as soon as that seemed to be a, a well-known thing suddenly Julian Palmer seemed to start <laughs> doing better put your tinfoil hat on there I guess but, um, I've always been impressed with him generally I think if he can get the consistency in his in his driving to do this kind of thing regularly um he will again, you know, he's putting himself, as you say, he's letting his driving do the talking uh, and putting himself in the shop window for other teams to think, you know, hey, here's another guy that, you know, we could, who's young and we could, you know, pull into a team um, to to do a, a good job. I agree. I've always rated Kev and I thought, I, I said it at the time, but I couldn't believe that Renault were so quick to just let him walk out of the team. Um that, that it's good to see that the Haas has got a bit of pace in it that, that can allow him to put these performances in. You know, it would have been disappointing to see see him go from Renault last season where the Renault didn't have really any sort of pace just to another team that, that you know, I, I want to see him being able to, to show his talent and fight for the points. So I'm pleased with the Haas guys that they've been able to give him a car that can do that. Uh, and yeah, as I said earlier, easily his best result Probably, but my memory is leaky. But that I can certainly remember in a long time. Uh, I can't remember him. He scored. Was it seventh? Was his best result last year? I think. Is that right? Yeah. That's, yeah. I can't remember that kind of stat off the top of my head. But yeah, good signs. Given that it's only his second start in a brand new team to be able to put in a performance. And I've seen a bit of onboard footage and stuff with him throughout the the weekend, and he was he was looking good. You know, uh, good things to come. Hopefully for him. Uh, the Force Indians round off the points paying positions with Sergio Perez finishing ahead of Esteban Ocon. Um, I felt like the Force Indians didn't really turn up a weekend. They didn't ever look like being, you know, uh, right up, you know, with that real ability to push for the sort of middling points uh, finish. Um, I, I think in a way they were probably fairly lucky that um, Massa and Grosjean had uh, as bad and unlucky, you know, sort of races as they did. Otherwise, I think there is a reasonable chance that they might not have scored any points at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't understand. We talked about last week. We don't really understand what's happened to the Force India. They looked pretty good, pretty handy in testing, and they finished last year really strong. Surely, painting the car pink hasn't removed it of 
all of its good qualities, has it? They did this. They've done this in the past sometimes, where some weekends they just they just don't have pace, and I don't know if there's a. But then the next weekend they'll be, you know, Perez will stick it on fifth on the grid or something, and they'll finish double points finish. You know, that it's not the first time I found myself saying they're a bit of a a weird team for that. That they can have complete ups and downs on pace. Um. I, I don't know why. But it makes it, doesn't it make it odd when you consider that uh, Alonso in the McLaren was before, you know, before his retirement, so essentially running ahead of either one or both of them in the last two races? I mean, I know it's Alonso and he's capable of doing the, the magic things in a car, but yeah, yeah. it's, it's in not... that McLaren, which you, you know is not um, got the engine comparable to the Mercedes that's in the back of both of those Force Indies. If we go back to the to the previous show we did before Melbourne, I did say I expected the Williams to be a fairly comfortable fourth in the championship this season, whereas last year, obviously, Force India beat them to that to that spot. That was based on the testing I'd seen. I just got the impression that their car, their, their package this season, wasn't as good as it was last season. And so far, possibly that that's proven to be the case. Um, I still think they'll finish ahead of the Hassies, the Toro Rossos, and the Renaults, and the McLarens long term. Uh, sure, but but I just don't think it's quite. I don't think they'll be pushing quite for the podiums as much as they were last season. Whether that's due to just not quite having the, they're not having quite nailed it with the changing regs, like you know some some like the Williamses might have. I, I'm not sure. I just got the impression this is just where they are. Um, probably comfortably best of the rest, but a little bit behind Williams on, on outright pace. And I said that Williams were absolutely nowhere this weekend, so that's not been proven here. But I don't know. They're a funny one to nail down. Fifth, but in a no-man's land fifth, ahead of everybody else, but behind everybody else, might just be where they are. And ninth and tenth would kind of, kind of sum that up. I don't know when, when, the change in regulations. We're always going on about last season. How do they have the budget to develop throughout the season and compete with the Williams? And in the end, they did manage to do that. Did they put so much into last season that this season they might just be that little? half a second shy of where they could have been if they'd spent longer looking towards this, looking towards the new the new regulations rather than battling so hard Williams last season. Do you think that could have anything to do with it? Uh, it usually doesn't follow that way, does it? If you make if you make strides in um developing the car, um I don't think you, I find it difficult to to think that you you just lose that um, that that pace to build on. Even with the the regulations changing, I feel like making the cars you know wider and all of those bits and pieces um, shouldn't have affected them like that badly. <laughs> But it, well, I guess it seems to have. I guess they just haven't 
built on the basic blocks of last year's car um, to to get them somewhere. I don't really understand it. It's my it's the simple thing. <laughs> Sean, that's why I asked you because I'm 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 hoping for some inspiration for somewhere, but I don't I don't well, get the Force Indias in the first two races. I just don't I don't get them. The, the these are brand these are essentially brand new designed cars, though, aren't they? And have they just built one that isn't quite as good as the one they built last uh, year? I mean, I guess so. I mean, <laughs> that's the only conclusion you can come to. But I kind of I want to I want to know why. I want somebody to say we went big and we went bold and designed a load of new things that we hadn't ever done any testing for in the last season. And that seems to have affected us. Or we went for a completely different design with this to accommodate the new Mercedes, you know, this year's Mercedes engine, which was very different than last year's. And that maybe has thrown off the balance of the car or something. I'd like them to come out and tell me why they feel that the car hasn't really felt like a progression. Um, from from last year's car, I just want to understand why it it, it niggles at me that <laughs> there isn't a kind of key to this. You know, there's probably some very you know, you'd, you'd speak to Craig Scarborough or somebody like that who's massively technical could probably look at the car and tell you exactly why um, it's not as fast as we think th- thought it was going to be. But I've not I've not worked it out, so I'm um, I'm waiting to see. I'm waiting to see. Uh, Grosjean finishes 11th. Uh, he had some problems in the race. Did he spin or something? Uh, I don't recall. There was something. There was some reason why, because he was fairly high up and then he, well, not high up, but he was doing all right. And then I'm sure he spun at some point um, or got a tap from somebody or something. Um, and I think battled from fairly far back to get back up to 11th. 12th place becomes the biggest anomaly of the race, really. Well, this is the one I was kind of looking forward to getting to. What, <laughs> what happened? I have absolutely no idea. It literally seemed like after the first couple of laps, he just went, Nick Hockenberg just went backwards and backwards and backwards. And I know he got the amazing 15-second penalty for um, overtaking under the safety car twice. Um, which is, uh, yeah, interesting. Um, Certainly didn't help his case. <laughs> well, no, and, you know, it, it obviously pushed him further down. It's, it, it is, worth, of course, re- reminding yourself to say that, that even with all of that happening, he still finished ahead of Jolien Palmer. And... <laughs> um, I'm saying, I am saying nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just don't, again, Renault fans, please explain to me what happened with Nico Hulkenberg because we didn't see it because everybody was seeming to focus on the, the rebel Ferrari battle, which is, which is only fair uh, since it's happening at the front of the grid. But I just was kind of like, like get to a lull in it. And I'd look at the standings and go, Oh, Nico Hulkenberg's down in 10th. Now I wonder what happened to him. You go, Oh, Nico Hulkenberg's down to 12th now. Oh, what happened to him? Oh, Nico Hulkenberg was right down at the back. What the hell is going on here? Um, and it just, I just don't understand what happened to him uh, at all. Um, Jolyn, we know, went to the back of the was at the back of the grid and then went into the pit lane to change to slicks. Uh, and as we saw with signs, that probably wasn't going to be the easiest of tasks on the first opening couple of laps. 
Um, so his race was compromised from the start and compromised from his uh, qualifying. And I think the less said about Jolian's weekend, probably the better for Jolian. Um, he's, uh, you know, you have to say he's been um, fairly, you know, unlucky across the first two weekends. It, it does seem to be happening to him and not Nico if it's happening to somebody, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's that is true. But it can't, he, we say it all the time, you know, as much as we like Jolian, you know, he's good fun in the interviews and, uh, you know, I like hearing what he has to say. He's saying it far too often from either not being in the race or, um, you know, being in the enclosure at the end, telling us what, you know, what went wrong with his race today. And, you know, it's probably just as well Hulkenberg had such a terrible race because if he'd managed to keep it where he'd qualified it, it would have been almost embarrassing. Um, as we say, you know, we we don't want to see anybody get fired from Formula One. That's not what it's about. But you do wonder how long Renault are going to put up with that when they've got a fairly expansive junior programme going on in other formula that they could possibly look around and uh, pinch somebody um, and pull them into the team to, to replace him if they wanted to. I mean, Jillian Palmer's a GP2 champion, you know, he's no, he's no slouch. Um, you know, he's, he's raced with Van Dorn, uh, you know, raced and beaten Van Dorn and Giovinazzi um, and Nazo and, and all of these other guys. So he's clearly not, you know, He's clearly got the talent to race, but <clears throat> he needs to be showing it, really, doesn't he? Got to, got, got to be showing it week after week. Yeah, he needs a big result this weekend in Bahrain. Uh, as I said a couple of couple of weeks ago, the Hulk is a tough is a tough teammate for him. He's going to be under pressure every weekend, and I worry that when we get to somewhere like Canada or something mid season. We're going to see one of these stats where it's like Nico Hulkenberg has outqualified Julian Palmer eight times in a row or something like that. You know, yeah. like, you know, you sometimes see with teammates where it's so obviously one sided. Sometimes, like, I worry yeah. for Julian that we're going to see something like that. So he needs to just get a bit of momentum going because he, like you say, he hasn't had the best of luck. Not always his own fault. Um. He just needs a he needs a weekend where it doesn't crash and he doesn't bump into anybody. It doesn't fall out with the team. He doesn't. He <laughs> just it just it just drives the car, keeps it on the road, puts in some solid times, and if he doesn't finish in the points, at least finishes credibly. And you know we can say okay, Julian's had a solid drive there, kept himself out of trouble, kept his head down, did a good 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 weekend. You know he needs one of those, and if he can beat Hulkenberg, even better. Um. I'm not sure he will be able to do that because we know how good Nico Hulkenberg is, but he's certainly not going to do that if he's, you know, bumping around with everybody and, you know, missing sessions and practices and losing track yeah. time here, there and everywhere and all this kind of thing. So just, just keep it on. He needs a, just a solid weekend more than anything. And then, then the rest will start to come if he can do that. If, you know, if he's as good as we people himself, every, anybody connected for one, if he's good as, as he should be to be in that seat, then it will fall into place. Um, we may have 
wondered what happened to Nico Hulkenberg. I also, I also wonder what happened that. to Felipe Massa. Yeah, I also do not know the answer to this question. <laughs> that one just seemed to there just seemed to be a point you just go, oh, to Massa's fair, like see, in front of the Sabers. What? See with Massa. He's he has weekends like this, and he had them for it's the true. Ferrari all the time. Yeah, where where you just don't know what's happened, but he's somehow fifteenth, and 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 there's I, I don't know how he got there. I don't know what happened to him. Where he just he just has these moments in races where somehow anything that can go wrong goes wrong, and he's just. Do you think he secretly swapped his? Do you think he secretly swapped places with his brother? Because he was just like, oh, I don't fancy it today. So he just said, you're about the same, same size brother Massa. Just stick the, it's the overalls on and the, the helmet on. Nobody will know. The eyes look exactly the same. Honestly, <laughs> uh, it's the reason that he kind of found himself out of the Ferrari, I think, ultimately, was that he was consistency was just never really strongest suit, which is odd to say for someone so experienced. Um yeah, he has these little funny weekends where it's not that he goes missing as such, because if he went missing, he would probably just end up like, you know, being forgettable. He just it's it's more that he, if there's debris on the road, he'll find it and get a puncture. If there's a if there's a tangle to happen, he'll find it. If there's a safety car, he'll be the one that has the bad luck with the safety car strategy. Just he, he somehow is a magnet for bad luck when it comes to interchangeable conditions or variables that, that take place throughout a Formula One race and I don't know I assume he missed out poorly on the safety car originally I, I can't I can't recall off the top of my head but there must have been something in that that caused him to slip slip down I would I would guess um yeah he just seems to be a magnet for trouble sometimes not all the time but just occasionally now and again maybe once a season or twice a season he'll have these weird weekends where he starts like sixth on the grid or something and ends up 16th. Uh, last of the finishes, Mark Ericsson in the Sauber. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't really have anything. What can you to talk add. about? What can you talk about Sauber about anymore? That Giovinazzi kept bending it this weekend. Yeah, that's the only thing, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that was Sauber's weekend, was that. The the hero of last race became a zero incredibly quickly. Um, I honestly don't. Know. And ironically, uh, I think you know they were planning. You know the plan was obviously to bring back Verlain for Bahrain, but there had been talk beforehand that maybe Giovinazzi might get the Bahrain drive as well. And I think, I think after this this race, Saba went no. Not we'll you, keep are, it. you are not allowed to. You destroyed two cars in one weekend. No, stop. Stop it. <laughs> That'll put that'll put them on the verge of liquidation. Yeah. <laughs> They'll have to sign at least four or five more drivers <laughs> they, to, <laughs> to, to afford another car. Oh god! I'd yeah. like to see Salva introduce some kind of like reality TV show before each each weekend. Like, yeah, or do a competition to see who can get the seat. I want to see them do like total wipeout for the seat in the Salva. <laughs> Everybody has to put in like a million pounds to, to to try, and then whoever wins and doesn't break their neck gets to drive the car that weekend. Because at least then you'd get some entertainment from them. At the moment, you know, they're just nothing really. It's inter- I think it sums up everything that we need to say that 
we started to talk about Marcus Ericsson there, and within 10 seconds, we were talking about his teammate. Yes. That says everything you need to know about it. That happened last year, though, didn't we? We talked about Nazar quite a lot. Just because and the only went, time we talked about Ericsson was generally when he, he'd run into Nazar. You, you literally went, and in 15th, it was Marcus Ericsson, and within five, 10 seconds at most, we were talking about Giovinazzi. Like, we yeah. did, there's just nothing, I don't have anything to say about Marcus Ericsson. I don't, don't, I, I, don't have anything to say. <laughs> nope. Um, so let's go through those DNFs. So the first one was uh, Lance Stroll, um, who after a, a decent qualifying effort, um, I think he got a little shunt, didn't he? He got a little tap from Perez uh, in the first corner. It just happens, doesn't it, in the wet? And, you know, like in the first yeah, race, wasn't it, with Ericsson and, and, and Magnussen? You know, these things yeah. happen in around the first corner. It wasn't his fault. To be fair, you know, people will look at if you just looked at the race results on paper, you'll see Stroll retired first lap spin. Oh, must have been an inexperienced rookie on the in the changeable conditions. But having seen the onboard, it, it wasn't. It didn't look like no. Perez. No. Perez. Perez gave him a little bit of a <laughs> from yeah, a love tap, as they say. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so poor Lance is in the gravel, and and that'll be that for his weekend. Sadly for him, it's it's a pro. A problem because he needs he needs running he needs lap times he needs yes. he, he needs to he needs to, he needs to learn how to drive the car. Well, yeah. as Brando was pointing out, he seemed to have he seemed to have calmed down a little bit this week. Was driving a little bit more more stably, less less choppy at the wheel uh, than he had been. It'll come with time, you know. These, yeah, these kids need to be given time, but um, this was the worst possible you know result for him. Yeah. Not, not even getting a single lap on the board, you know. Getting, obviously, I don't know what circuits he's driven in the past, but there'll be there'll be a few in the Formula One calendar that he'll never have driven before. So you know he needs to be getting an opportunity to drive these tracks in in race conditions. That's all. That's the only thing that's going to give him the experience that he needs to go forward. So being booted out by Sergio Perez at the first corner isn't ideal, but well, hopefully. Hopefully the Williams can show a bit of pace in Bahrain and and, and stroll. Stroke can show us what he can do because I don't think he's had a points finish yet, has he? He didn't finish in the points in Melbourne no. and obviously DNF'd here. So he that Williams is expecting points every weekend. If it's reliable, they'll expect the points finish. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's ten places that get points. If the Williams get its car to the end of the race, they will hundred ex- percent expect to be in the top ten based on pace. So he needs a points finish this weekend, really. He can't really be going no and three. And in three, on in terms of picking up points, so a big weekend for him. Like Julian, you know, needs a needs a solid weekend where he keeps himself at a baller, completes all the practices, doesn't have any tech trouble, doesn't have any crashes, and just keeps his seat down and gets gets the points. That's what he needs this weekend, and let's hope he let's hope he does. I really hope that somebody at Williams literally says to him, "Keep your head down." <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be even better. I'd be like if. I'd love to see that written on his steering steering wheel, like <laughs> a little post-it note. Get a heed, keep it down. <laughs> Is that your attempt at a Scottish accent? <laughs> Shut. <up. laughs> yes, this yes, is more like Irish, I think. Get a heed. I think I'm just doing. I think I'm doing Fraser from um, Dad's Army. Doomed. We're all doomed. <laughs> that was a bit better. That was a bit better. Uh, fair enough. Um, Giovinazzi uh, seemed to enjoy finding interesting things to do in and around the start of the, st- <laughs> the start finish line 
Um, wasn't it? <laughs> we touched on them. Absolutely. Um, the the funniest thing I thought about that one was that they were watch uh, on TV. They were watching Ericsson thinking it was Stroll about to have an accident, and then suddenly in the background, like Stroll comes around the corner half sideways or comes into shot like sideways. And they're like, oh, oh no, there he is. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, okay. Um, yeah, that's that's the end of his Formula One career this year, unless Verline literally gives up and goes home because he's too injured. Um, I think they just, I think all the good work he'd done in Melbourne to curry favour and faith in him was undone by doing nearly the same thing, you know, both times. Um, and uh, and ironic that realistically he had exactly the same crash that Verline had last year in the manor. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. When he kept, there was it, his, his crash, he came out under the bridge from the wet. Um, and decided he'd steer in the one wet patch that was still left on the uh, <laughs> straight, uh, which is exactly what Verline did <laughs> um, in the manor. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, Van Dorn for McLaren with a fuel issue. So I assume that's probably fuel pressure. Uh, just another. Yeah, do you have much to say about McLaren? Of... Uh, no, I have nothing to say about McLaren. This the the only thing I have to talk about is is Fernando Alonso, and we'll get to him. Yeah, uh, didn't have a great weekend. Um, looking at the free practices for this weekend, he's having a worse weekend this this race. The problem he's got is that he has not had the track time to get to learn the car, so he's having to learn it during the race, which is making him look a lot worse. Um, well, yeah, like he's not getting any reliability at the car, so he's not able to drive it in practice because it keeps breaking down for every five minutes. So yeah. So I think do? I think he's being undone by the fact that he can't get any setup time. He can't learn how to set up the car because he doesn't have enough time. He goes into the races where he has a horrible time because the car's horrible and not set up well. So he doesn't learn what a good car feels like. So he can't direct the the. I don't. You know, it's difficult for him to. He can say, "Well, yeah, you know, lots of understeer or lots of oversteer or not enough power or all of those things." But they're probably all like really general. Like, mm-hmm. how can he point them in the right? for his setup when he's never had the chance to set up the car properly um there you go um danny kvyat didn't finish i don't remember that one he must have just pulled into the bits he didn't crash I so he must was, have... yeah i think he just broke down i can't remember exactly what the problem was but tech troubles i think yeah uh, shame for danny because i think he was running he was running all right um yeah he was going okay that torosso had a better pace as carlos proved i think he was going okay uh, so finally, let's talk about the man who has dominated the headlines this week, um, Fernando Alonso. Uh, another race battling with, uh, you know, Carlos Sainz for, you know, that that sort of sixth, seventh, eighth, eighth place. Um, Proving that he can drag the car to a decent result if it can get to the end of the race. Yeah, and Alonso, then he breaks the drive shaft. Alonso will get it there in a decent result because that's what he does. He drags the cars to be on to where they should be, but they just can't get them to the end of the race for him to do that at the moment. No. No, just really just disappointing for McLaren again this week. Um, I don't know whether the drive shaft thing is an engine thing or not. Uh, I mean, somebody's somebody's going to listen to that and say, yeah, the drive shaft's part of the engine, you idiot, or it's attached to the engine, you idiot, or whatever it is. But like whether that's like a Honda issue or whether it's like a McLaren part attached to the Honda engine is kind of what I meant. Um, it was what it was. He was doing, you know, uh, driving like an elephant, as he said. Uh, 
<laughs> that obviously doesn't translate probably from Spanish in the same way. I, I, I'd assume we probably wouldn't have chosen an, an elephant as my sign that I was driving a car particularly quick, quickly. <laughs> um, but we then had the bombshell announcement that Fernando will be missing the Monaco Grand Prix to drive the Indy 500. Now, I know you have some pretty strong opinions on this, so what did you think of it? Because I've seen, seen you having a, uh, a discussion on Twitter about this, so I'll let you, uh, let you tell the world what you think. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I personally think it's... There's a lot of... There's kind of two things to it, really. The, the first is, how did they come to this agreement? Now, I am pretty sure that Fernando last year said, if it's not competitive... I'd like to do Indy, maybe Le Mans or, or something like that, you know, depending on how well the car goes. If the car goes well, then I'll drive it and I won't do anything else. And McLaren went, well, yes, please, because we don't want you to leave. Um, sign on, stay on, all the other bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it was always there hanging about as a thing. Um, and I think probably McLaren looked at it when Fernando probably came back to them and said, well, look, guys, you know, it's not going well, is it? Um, and they looked at it and went yeah and I think they looked at it and went you know what this is a way of turning all of the news away from how poorly the car is um, performing to talking about uh, an F1 driver going back to the halcyon days of Formula 1 where they used to uh, you know used to run in multiple disciplines within a season um, the, the you know the Grand Slam of Formula One titles, um, Indy 500 and Le Mans 24 Hour, um, which doesn't class F1 this year, by the way. So wait to see what Fernando does in and around that. Um, uh, and it, I think it, the other thing is, Zach Brown started to talk about the concept that maybe McLaren were looking to to, to be a multidiscipline chassis manufacturer um so that maybe they would do something in indycar um which then also leads the option open for them to do something in formula e that isn't about building a formula e car necessarily where they because i I suspect mclaren probably don't want to build their own formula e engine um because i don't think the road car side of it is right there ready for them to take that as a concept on but i think that they would happily be McLaren slash somebody else uh, with somebody else putting in the um, the engine or looking after that side and they, they you know, supplied the electrical, you know, the, the technological about, about the chassis and um, all the electronics around that, uh, which the, the road car stuff does. And it also means that you're suddenly pushing F1 into a big marketplace again um, you know, the, IndyCar is the the single seater top equivalent in the United States. Um, why why is it even a question that you'd want people to go? Hmm. If I'm an IndyCar fan and I wasn't already watching Formula One or taking any interest in it, why wouldn't I? You know, what team am I going to start looking at when suddenly F1 starts taking an uh, an interest in? doing the Indy 500, you know, and, and praising the Indy 500 is an important thing that they want to come and do. Well, it's McLaren. So that's a whole load of um, American fans who, you know, probably 
they have no real allegiance to any particular team in Formula One. You know, they're going to come over and they're going to be Ferrari fans. Well, there might be Red Bull fans, given the number of Red Bull teams that there are around all the other sports in America and the sponsorship and bits and pieces. Um, I think it's really, from a marketing point of view, it's a, it's a masterstroke. I think it placates Fernando and says to him, look, you know, you know, we didn't stand in your way when you said you wanted to do these things and, and, and have them on, you know, have the chance to do them. Uh, stick with for, uh, you know, next year when maybe he might have, you know, if they'd have taken what Christian Horner in the, in the, uh, in the uh, press conference today was saying that, you know, he, he wouldn't let it happen. He thinks that, you know, uh, the, the drivers should be committed to one team during the season and, and not go and do anything else. Um, and I think that attitude, that attitude shows, um, Red Bull as a team shows their lack of years in the sport because I think that actually to a lot of fans who aren't Red Bull fans is a bit of a thumb thumb to the nose to all the drivers from the sort of 60s and 70s who used to do that sort of thing all the time that would have they would go and do the Indy 500 and and these other pieces that you know they'd race in GP in Formula Two or whatever you know it, it, they'd race in whatever else was going on outside of uh, F1. I mean it was obviously more time because the calendar was shorter but still the concept that an F1 driver might go and do uh, Indy and F1 and the Le Mans or whatever shouldn't be seen as a foreign concept in any way shape or form um even with today's multi-million pound teams it it makes that goes back to making red bull seem like a marketing exercise for a drinks company when they say things like that because i think mm-hmm. it, it 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 rather goes against the spirit of what i think people think of formula one being that it's the best drivers in the best cars but the best drivers should be driving in whatever series they want to do showing that they're the best you know, there's there's a real reason why Graham Hill is the only uh, proper triple crown champion for um, for that because he won Monaco, he won the world title, he won the Indy 500, and he won Le Mans. And you look at it and go, why wouldn't you? You know, why wouldn't you want your drivers to be aspiring to that? You know, why do we? Why you know, with the passing of um, John Surtees, do we look back and go? wasn't it amazing that here's a guy who won the, the Formula One world title and the uh, motorbike world title? What's, why, why are we doing that? And then Christian Horner's turning around and saying, oh, well, F1 drivers should just drive in F1 and that's it. Is his point, Christian, is Christian's point not though more to do with the fact that he's missing an F1 race rather than not having him do anything else at all? But, then you, the, but, but I think the point about that was that if Fernando Alonso was chasing for the world championship or chasing then he wouldn't, podiums, then he obviously he wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, yeah. He'd have everything yeah, he needs I to get, yeah, yeah. It makes yeah. no difference to it will make no difference to McLaren Honda's season to have Jensen Button do the Monaco Grand Prix. No, absolutely, because that's the nature of where McLaren are at at the moment. You know? Yeah. But and I but I the way I look at it and think is like um if it wasn't a clash would he still stop his drivers from doing it? And I think he would. I think he'd say, no, you're not allowed to do Indy. And that's, no, you're that, not allowed to do... That's what I mean. That was the kind of point I was getting at. So say the Indy 500 was on a date where there was no F1 weekend. Do you think Horner would then say no? Is that what yes. you're saying? Yes, that's, that's what, exactly what I'm saying. I haven't and, seen 
I haven't seen the interview or the comments or anything from Christian, so I'm just going on what, what you're saying. Like, I don't, I haven't seen exactly what he had to say. So he said, he said it was like um, somebody going away and, and and cheating on their girlfriend and then coming back. <laughs> that seems a little bit unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think for, you know, I, for I, I can, I, I'll, I've come a bit round to Christian in the last year or two. I don't mind him as much as he says. I just didn't used to like him, but I don't mind him so much now. But. When That's the kind of comment I, I, I can I can picture him saying that, and the image I have in my head of him saying that is one that that ties in with what you're saying of sort of a little bit of lack of f- sort of Formula One nous kind of thing from years gone by, so to speak. So yeah, I can I can picture him saying that, and and tend to agree with you. As for Fernando, um. Yeah, I think it's just a case of Fernando Alonso does whatever he wants. <laughs> and if he wants to do Indy 500, like, I agree with you, McLaren aren't going to stand too hard in his way because they know the value in having Fernando in the team. And and th- like you say, they aren't going to lose any sleep about Jensen Button doing the Monaco Grand Prix instead of Fernando. That's not really going to make any difference to them in the grand scheme of things this season. No, but... And, so, and it- is it so, not another great PR opportunity for them to have yeah, Jensen Button pop up in the car for a race? And they go, yeah. Oh, Jensen, yeah. yay! Yeah, around Monaco, Monaco, baby, yeah, and all that sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean it's just it has a it all has a bit of a feel good factor for very little downside for McLaren, other than I I felt people being a little bit disingenuous about wanting to take a pop at McLaren and say, well, they're only doing it because the car's rubbish. Do you know what I mean? And I felt that was kind of like, well, maybe they are only able to do it because the car isn't performing. Do, but like, do you think there's anything the fact that he's bloody doing it? Do you think there's anything in it to suggest that maybe Fernando's thinking, you know, I don't have the longest shelf life left on my Formula One career. Let's see what the grass is like over there. Maybe go there in 2018, I, 2019 kind of thing. I don't, Did you I don't see think Fernando? he'll go and do Indy car in 2018. I can't, I don't, you don't think so? I don't think that. I think he's doing Indy because it gives him a chance to say, right, if I do Indy when I'm you know, young enough to, and he's only 35, um, when I'm young enough to be competitive um, and, you know, this is a series that Juan Pablo Montoya is in and still doing well. So, you know, Age is obviously not quite the the same factor uh, in it than it is in Formula One, where you seem to be sort of over the hill at thirty these days. Mm-hmm. Over the hill at about twenty five these days. Um, I think it's wrong, a case. Nothing wrong with Juan Pablo Montoya. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've had this discussion. <laughs> Let's leave it there. Um, but I, I, I think it's a case that it's I can do it now. Um, and I could kind of tick it off of my bucket list. And Le Mans is something that people do when they retire from Formula One anyway. So he's got longer to do Le Mans, I think, than he has IndyCar. So you you don't, you couldn't see him doing a full season in IndyCar, not necessarily now, but down the line? Maybe. I, I don't think, I don't think, I've never heard him express any interest in doing IndyCar as a as a thing. I've heard him express interest in doing uh, endurance racing. Mm-hmm. So that's why I expect him to go and do some bits and pieces and do that sort of stuff afterwards. But I don't think he'd go from single-seater Formula 1 to single-seater IndyCar 
I just don't see it. Um, I don't think that's... If you look at the number of people who went and do it, the most most of the sort of Formula One drivers who, who, who kind of seem to go away and go and do IndyCar are the South American drivers. Yeah, um, it's, it's a lot more ingrained in their culture over there. Yeah, because because it's an American series, so they, they get exposure to both F1 and IndyCar. Um, so I think... I just don't see it happening. Um, I, I can see him doing um, endurance championship. I might even see him do Formula E, possibly, for a season or two, just to see what it was like. Um, possibly on the basis that he might be the first person that could win the Indy 500, the World Formula One Championship, the World Formula E Championship, and uh, Le Mans 24-hour, uh, which would probably be something that wouldn't be beaten for <laughs> for a ever, little while. Ever, probably. Yeah. The way I seen it just when I heard the news was uh, my initial gut reaction was that he was going over to do the one race, and uh, as as a sort of okay, let's see what that's like, and if he likes it, then wouldn't rule out doing it in future full time, and if he didn't take to it, fine, he's tried it once and and didn't take to it. But the way I viewed viewed the news was that he he must be. You know, just just you know, having a little shot at it to see what it's like, like playing a demo on a new game kind of thing. <laughs> That's the way I kind of free CD with this magazine pictured it, yeah. And it's a it's a it's a free opportunity for him to pop over, give it a whirl, and see see if he likes it. And if he does like it, then I could see him doing it just for a season or two when he's done with F one, or he might hate it. He might and he might say, "Oh, I did the Indy five hundred. I didn't really like it. Go and do something else." Best the way I think of it is the way I looked at it was that I think it was a chance for him to show how good he is in something I'd else. Love him, I'd love him to win it. I'd I think that's that's the it. idea, Ling, isn't it? Is that he pops up and goes, "Hello, remember how good Formula One is," and it it it, it helps Formula One in the long term because it, people go, "All right, okay." So you know, when we you know we stop thinking of uh, IndyCar as being the place where failed Formula One drivers sort of turn up. Because um, it's been like that for a while, isn't it? There's not been a Formula One champion that's gone to IndyCar for a, um, a very, very long time, I would have thought. Um, pro- probably back to Fittipaldi, I would have thought. Um, or Andretti. Um, you know, that's that's the kind of lineage you're looking at is actually back to the teams of the 70s and stuff. Um, and wouldn't it be good for Formula One at, at a time where it's desperately trying to crack new markets and bits and pieces, have this beautiful free advertising of Fernando Alonso turning up, uh, teaming with and- the Andretti team, uh, with, you know, so it's got, it's got the name and the links and all the stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, hell, even if he doesn't win, even if he came second or third or something like that, you know, in that sort of... Yeah, it'd be great for him. It'd be great for the sport. It'd be great for everybody connected with it. Your podium, a podium would be great. Yes. I don't even know what they do for podiums. I don't know whether they do a podium in IndyCar, whether it's just the first person or not. I know I was watching something today that shows that if you win the Indy 500, you have to drink a load of milk for some yeah, reason. That, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Do you think that this was something that may have been in the works for a while, and I have a feeling possibly that... explains why Jensen has been kept on his possibly. On his leash? I think that's that's certainly. I, mean, I think that was true anyway. I think even if it wasn't, but I, I have a I have a feeling that Fernando has, you know, been dropping the hints for yeah. a while to say, not, you know, look, not if, necessarily you, if you don't give me the car, 
I'd like to do some things in and around Formula One as well. And you'll, you know, if you want to keep me, then you'll let me do those things. Yeah. And so this I... is the first one that's come up. Yep. And that's why they've kept Jensen on the books because they yeah. know Fernando might. It just, it just makes the Jensen decision last season to, 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 to switch to the role that he has now a little bit more. Yeah. If they said to him, yeah, Jensen, there's a there's probably a reasonably good chance you'll get at least one, maybe a couple, maybe two drives next season, if Fernando's off doing doing things. So you know, it's not just a PR thing. Although yeah. I genuinely suspect that he was he's actually really enjoying not being in F1 and just kind of like just chilling out. <laughs> I get the feeling that like he loved being on Twitter when he got to say. <laughs> why have I got so many missed calls on my phone or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Why does my phone keep on ringing? I think he loved that because it was just like, you know, I haven't had to, <laughs> I haven't had to do practice and testing and all of the horrible things, but people are like well hyped that I'm going to pop back for a drive. So that was that's that's my So I, my thing is, is that I think if you're if if you're hating on it, um, I, I think you're you're doing down something that is actually very positive for Formula One uh, and positive for Fernando Alonso and I don't think actually negative for McLaren. Fair well, enough. It's certainly, it's certainly a case that it doesn't make things any worse for McLaren doing this. <laughs> well, there's that. But yeah, no, fair enough. That's a, a, a fair assessment. I knew you had um, quite a lot to say about that, so I thought I'd just let you, let you, you crack on. Rant. <laughs> Rant away. What else, is there? <laughs> what else have we got to... Anything else in the in the news uh, worth mentioning before we um, before we head? I'm the Bahrain. I'm not sure. Um, let me let me just remind myself. I don't think there was was there particularly. Um, nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. So no. Oh, some <laughs> uh, Bernie Eccleston has been seen at the. Uh, at the Bahrain circuit, and apparently in an interview he said he thinks Liberty Media should reduce the fees for uh, track owners. <laughs> no bloody <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. Really? I was just like, you you little troll. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie Eccleston, master troll. Uh, so I think that's the only thing that I've seen sort of floating about. Um, so I think that takes us to the end of the podcast quite nicely. Um, we are already into Bahrain, as we said, the free practice has been on. Uh, not terribly good for uh, McLaren, not terribly good for most of the teams. Almost all of the teams have had some kind of engine blown, apart from uh, Mercedes. Ferrari have uh, had a couple, so Red Bull um, uh, and, and Van Dorn's barely gotten going. Um, so it will be interesting to see the results from uh, this weekend's race. Uh, we'll try and get that one out for you <laughs> well before the next race after that one. should have a little bit of time in between them, hopefully. Um, but thank you very much for listening uh, we, are the lap, uh, we are the Last Lap Podcast you find us at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk you can find us on Facebook and you can find us on Twitter at Last Lap Podcast um, you can subscribe and download to the podcast through iTunes uh, tune in and I get this wrong which one is it? Is it Stitcher? Um, I can't remember it begins with S it's the other podcast one that you can do for free one of them you can do for free and one that you can't i don't remember which one it is stitcher is stitcher because the other one i think of is spreaker and it's not spreaker because you have to do loads of stuff for that one so yes itunes tune in and stitcher um and you can download and as always and stream from the website directly um so you can 
listen to the podcast whenever and however you so desire. Uh, so again, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show and we will speak to you after barring. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.